Hi, this is Brett. Thank you for listening to my sermon podcast. If you find these messages to be valuable, please be sure to share them with your friends on social media. And remember, you can subscribe to my sermons on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. That way they're delivered to you hot and fresh as soon as they're available. And if you've been blessed by these messages, would you take a moment or two and leave a review on iTunes? That is a huge help when it comes to getting other people to listen. Thanks again, and I hope today's message is a blessing to you. I did something recently that I never imagined I would do. I definitely didn't think that if I ever did this, I would be up here admitting it to you today, but here we are. So let me just get this out. Uh, a few weeks ago, I listened to Kanye West's new album. Um, and if that isn't shocking enough, I, I liked it. Now, if you've been living under a rock for about the last decade, or maybe if you've been living in a small Midwestern town and you don't know who Kanye West is, he is a rap artist. Kanye has been known for his immense ego uh, he's married to kim kardashian and some of you may have been trying to keep up with the kardashians for the last few years and and as you can imagine kanye has been this very self-centered person and yet something has happened uh, rumblings started uh, a few months ago about kanye giving his life to jesus his new album is called jesus is king now it's not my style but I've listened to it. I've listened to it about half a dozen times. And, and the words to the songs are, are powerful. My, my favorite song. <laughs> I have a favorite Kanye West song now. I never thought that would happen. My favorite song is called Hands On. And it's in that song where he wrestles with what people are going to say about his conversion. Not his family or his friends, but what are other Christians going to say? Are they going to accept him? Are they going to believe him? One of the lines in that song says of, of Christians, they'd be the first ones to judge me, make it feel like nobody loved me. And you know, that's, that's already been happening. As it also happened to, to Saul of Tarsus following his conversion, Saul who later became the Apostle Paul, as it happened to Chuck Colson a, a generation ago when the Nixon hatchet, hatchet man, the, the man who was said to have, would have been willing to kill his grandmother for Nixon, when Chuck Colson accepted Jesus as his Savior. A recent Kanye West concert ended with a presentation of the Gospel and an altar call where some 2,000 people came forward to claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's 2,000 people who wouldn't have listened to me. 2,000 people who heard the message of Christ proclaimed in a language they understood. A year ago, I wouldn't have believed it. A year ago, Kanye West probably wouldn't have believed it. But we're left to wonder, what made the difference? Why him? And why now? Why now? You know, the message of Jesus Christ has remained unchanged for 2,000 years. I love the way we sang about it today. We sang one of my favorite Christmas songs. There's a song in the air. It's that song that says that, uh, the, the, the manger in Bethlehem cradles a king. A little later as we close the service, we'll sing Ring the Bells. And in the song Ring the Bells, we hear those words, Born to die that man might live, came to earth his life to give. And we realize that this isn't just about 
a season. It's not just about a holiday. And it's not just about the manger. There's also the cross. There's also the empty tomb. The whole message is here. The whole Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this month we've turned to Mark's Gospel. Mark's very short Gospel. Mark's Gospel contains no Christmas story. There's nothing about Jesus' birth. There's no wise men. There's no shepherds. What Mark tells us isn't for a season or a holiday. What Mark tells us is for all time. And when we come to the center of Mark's Gospel, to chapters 8, 9, and 10, three times in those chapters, Jesus tells His followers He is going to die. Born to die. That man may live. The manger in Bethlehem cradled a king. And that king wants you to know what He has done for you. Three times, Jesus tells the disciples what's going to happen to Him. And in those three times, we see three different reactions from the disciples. That ought to cause us to to realize that we shouldn't be surprised at the different reactions that people have to our message. We're looking at, we're going to begin in Mark chapter 8 today, verses 31 through 33. These are on pages 844 to 846 in those blue Bibles in front of you. These three passages, Jesus gives us the same information each time. Verse 31 in chapter, here in, here in chapter 8, Jesus says, it's, it's here that we read, and He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. It's there that we read that. And Mark is quick to point out in the very next verse, he said this plainly. He said this plainly, that there's no parable for them to wonder about the interpretation or wonder what it meant. There's to be no confusion here. He's saying, I am going to suffer. I am going to be rejected. I am going to be killed. But after three days, I will rise again. And while that message never changes, the reactions to the message do change. Verse 32 goes on and we read, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Over in chapter 9, verses 30 and 31, it's there we read, And they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And then on into chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid and taking the twelve again he began to tell them what was to happen to him peter is angry and rebukes jesus the disciples don't understand in chapter 9 and they are afraid and then in chapter 10 those who are near him are amazed but those who are following at a distance they are afraid three different reactions to the same message and yet we often wonder why doesn't everyone just believe like we believe why doesn't everyone respond why doesn't everyone repent 
What are we doing wrong when people don't commit to Christ? Well, you know, it's probably not us. I think Mark gives us these three instances and these three reactions to teach us that people aren't always ready. There might be times when we need to help them to hear the message clearly. In chapter 9, verse 32, we read, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask Him. They didn't understand and they were afraid to ask. But what happens if I ask? Is He going to judge me? Is He going to think I'm dense? Is He going to think I just don't get it? You know, earlier this year, the first part of the year, I shared a statistic with you from the 2010 census of Edgar County. And that statistic told us that 57% of the people in our county, 57% in our county, have no faith at all. 57% of the people around us if you ask them what they believe in, what faith they are, they will not say, well, I was brought up Christian, but I haven't been to church in a long time. They will not say, well, my family was Baptist. They will not say, well, my parents, my grandparents were Catholic, so I guess that makes me a Catholic. Nothing. And then you and I show up and we start talking about a guy from 2,000 years ago who we believe lived back then, who we believe died back then and was raised back to life. Do they even have the ability to think in those terms? Are they going to understand us? Or are they going to have questions that they're afraid to ask? There's a ministry at Lincoln Christian University that I am absolutely amazed by. It's a ministry called Room for Doubt. Our own Hannah Brimner works with Room for Doubt. Room for Doubt faces the reality that there are people in our churches, some of them adults, some of them, uh, some of them young people, especially uh, high school students and college students, who have sincere questions and doubts about their faith. But like Mark chapter 9, verse 32, they don't understand and they're afraid to ask. And so room for doubt provides them with a safe place and encourages their questions. It encourages them to address those doubts and it seeks to strengthen their faith. You know, I would love for us in 2020, I'd love for us next year to invite room for doubt here for a six-week study not just for the church for our community for for our county you know that statistic that tells us that 57 percent of the people around us your friends your neighbors the people around you 57 percent have no faith at all that that statistic is 10 years ago it's from the last census i believe if those numbers are going to change it's because the christians in our county are working to change those numbers we have the ability to change that i want to see us leading the charge for our community, addressing the questions that people are afraid to ask. Now that requires us to be intentional about addressing their questions. It also requires us to pay attention. And Mark shows us that also. If you notice, uh, when you read these three instances, notice where people are on their journey with Jesus. Because it's a subtle difference, but it's there. In chapter 8, verse 27, we're told that they're in Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi, that may not have been far away geographically, but spiritually it was very far away. Caesarea Philippi was a, was a center for pagan worship and, and demon worship. The, the people there worshipped all manner of spirits. And I want you to hear that in Peter's rebuke of Jesus because Peter rebukes Jesus in a place that is very harsh to their faith. 
And it seems like maybe Peter's thinking, they don't need to hear about a cross here. They need to hear power. They need to hear that you're going to overcome these forces of evil. Then in chapter 9, verse 30, they're passing through Jerusalem. That's where they are on the journey. They're, or excuse me, they're passing through Galilee. That's where they are on the journey. Galilee was their home. Galilee was where they were known. They were heroes. They were small town boys who had made it big. And yet Jesus didn't want anyone to know that He was there. He wanted it kept quiet. But, but Jesus, a chapter earlier, you told us you're the Messiah. You told us you're the King. Shouldn't we be shouting that? And then in chapter 10, verse 32, they are on their way to Jerusalem. It's, it's almost the end of the road. It's inevitable. Time is short. And so there is amazement, but there's also fear. I remember several years ago, sitting in the hospital with a man who was down to his last few days. And I asked him those questions that I'm supposed to ask him. I said, are you ready for what's next? I said, I, I can't help you with what's, going th what's happening to your body. I can't help you with what you're physically going through, but how can I help you? And he waved me off. He actually waved me off. And he, he assured me that he was fine. He said, Brad, I'm not worried about any of that. And then he, he began listing his own accomplishments. And he listed them off to me. And trust me, this man had accomplishments. He had done some amazing things. He had done some very brave things, in fact. I tried to explain to him that's, that's not how it works. That anything that we do, even righteous acts that we might do, they are filthy rags compared to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Two days later, he, he asked to see me again. Two days later, the doctors had finally gotten through to him. And he had finally understood, this is real. This is happening, and it's happening soon. And that day, he said, Brett, I'm okay with dying. But I'm not okay with what happens next. What do I need to know? And I told him about Jesus. I told him about His grace. I told him about His gift to you. And we talked and we prayed. And a couple days later, he passed. I believe he passed in peace. How many times have I shown you this? You don't know how many times I've come close to throwing this piece of rope away. Uh, it's a rope with three knots. Now, when do you invite people to church? When one of these three knots appears. Uh, you invite people to church when things are not going well. When there's a difficult diagnosis. Maybe there's financial trouble. Maybe there's trouble at home. The second knot is for when you invite them for something they're not prepared for. Maybe like my friend at the hospital, or maybe like a new birth in the family, or like a new job when you find out they're, they're not prepared. And the last knot, well, that's the easy one. You invite them to church when they're not in church. That's when you invite someone to come to church. Two weeks ago, I, I, gave, I shared another statistic with you. I love statistics. Two weeks ago, I shared another statistic with you that said that 57% of people who don't attend church at all said they were likely to say yes if they were invited to come to church at Christmas. 57% who don't come at all said they would be likely to say yes to an invitation to come to church for a Christmas service, singing Christmas songs, uh, maybe our Christmas Eve service. And a completely different statistic, 57% of people in our county have no faith at all. Is that just a coincidence? Or should we see that as a mission? Should we see that as a message from God? People around us are in various places on their journey through life. Some find themselves in hostile relationships where they, they don't feel loved. They don't feel at peace. 
Some find themselves in places where they're not comfortable asking questions. Some find themselves at that point of realization where there is not much time left and they know it. The journey is almost over. But for every one of them, wherever they are, it's December. Christmas is, is two weeks away. It's approaching fast. What are they going to hear? What they need to hear from us is the message of Jesus Christ. And what Mark shows us in these three instances is the message never changes. In Mark chapter 8, verse 32, he said to them plainly, he wanted no misunderstanding. He wanted no question. They wanted them to hear him. In verse 32, he says that the Son of Man will suffer many things. In chapter 9, verse 31, he says the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. And then in chapter 10, verse 32, he tells them, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what would happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him, and after three days He will rise. And yet, He went anyway. He knew what was ahead. He knew the pain. He knew the rejection. He knew death was ahead. And still, He went. Born to die, that man might live. He came to earth His life to give. Christmas, Easter, any time of year, the message, the Gospel never changes. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23-24, and 24, we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. When we talk about our message, when we talk about the Gospel, it's not just about Christmas. It's not even just about Easter. Our message is that Jesus is the King who saves us. That is the Gospel. Depending on where people are, though, they're going to hear that differently. They're going to respond differently, but none of that changes our message. The sweet baby in the manger is the mangled man on the cross, and He is the King who saves us. And the fact is, if the Gospel is at the center of our lives, it will be at the center of our Christmas. Not the trees. Not the lights. Not the presents or the parties. But the message of what Jesus has done for us. What God has given us. That's a message our world needs to hear. Our friends need to hear. Our neighbors need. The greatest gift you can give at Christmas is the good news of Jesus Christ. One of Kanye's songs, the last song on his album, the album is called Jesus is King. The last song is titled Jesus is Lord. It's got a pretty fresh beat, but the words are words that you would be very familiar with. The words say, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lord, that's it. That is all. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. The pain you're going through right now, that's not the Lord of your life. The heartbreak that you're feeling, it didn't die for you. It does not own you. And even the mess you've made of your life is not greater than the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now I doubt that's something that you've 
never heard before. Because it is an old, old story. But maybe you're in a place today to hear it like never before. Maybe today things are not going well. Maybe today there is something you're not prepared for. But maybe today the fear and confusion are starting to melt away and you're in a place not only to hear, but to accept and to respond and to commit and to claim Jesus as your King, as your Lord and Savior. We want you to know Jesus. We also want you to know that you are loved here. And if you haven't found the peace, not just the peace of Christmas, but the peace of Christ, we want to invite you to that. Now in the past, uh, we would uh, have an invitation and we would ask people if they wanted to respond to come forward a little differently now. And so as we close, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one more song. And there are going to be some people back in my office, our elders and their wives and, and a few others back in my office, ready to hear you, ready to pray with you, ready to help you through whatever is not working today. And if you need someone to pray with you, we want to do that. Will you stand with me and pray? Father, the path to salvation did not end at the manger. It continued to a cross. It continued to a tomb. That tomb is empty today because Your Son lives. That's our message. There is a King who saves and His name is Jesus. If anyone here today needs to know Him, we pray for the courage to step out, to embrace faith, to come to know Your Son. We pray for courage for them to respond despite doubts and questions. And we pray for the courage to speak to them, to share with them, and to welcome them home. Lord, wherever they are on that journey, put us in their paths. We thank You for Your amazing love and an amazing King. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.